Section five of the Life of Samuel Johnson, volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. He wrote this year a letter not intended for publication, which has perhaps as strong marks of his sentiment and style as any of his compositions. The original is in my possession. It is addressed to the late Mr. William Drummond, bookseller in Edinburgh, a gentleman of good family but small estate, who took arms for the house of Stuart in 1745, and during his concealment in London till the act of general pardon came out, obtained the acquaintance of Dr. Johnson, who justly esteemed him as a very worthy man. It seems some of the members of the Society in Scotland for Propagating Christian Knowledge had opposed the scheme of translating the Holy Scriptures into the Gallic language from political considerations of the disadvantage of keeping up the distinction between the Highlanders and the other inhabitants of North Britain. Dr. Johnson being informed of this, I suppose by Mr. Drummond, wrote with a generous indignation as follows. To Mr. William Drummond, sir, I did not expect to hear that it could be in an assembly convened for the propagation of Christian knowledge a question whether any nation uninstructed in religion should receive instruction or whether that instruction should be imparted to them by a translation of the holy books into their own language if obedience to the will of god be necessary to happiness and knowledge of his will be necessary to obedience i know not how he that withholds this knowledge or delays it can be said to love his neighbour as himself he that voluntarily continues ignorance is guilty of all the crimes which ignorance produces as to him that should extinguish the tapers of a lighthouse might justly be imputed the calamities of shipwrecks christianity is the highest perfection of humanity and as no man is good but as he wishes the good of others no man can be good in the highest degree who wishes not to others the largest measure of the greatest good to omit for a year or for a day the most efficacious method of advancing christianity in compliance with any purposes that terminate on this side of the grave is a crime of which i know not that the world has yet had an example except in the practice of the planters of america a race of mortals whom i suppose no other man wishes to resemble Footnote. a gentleman writing from virginia to john wesley in seventeen thirty five about the need of educating the negro slaves in religion says their masters generally neglect them as though immortality was not the privilege of their souls in common with their own wesley's journal volume two page two eight eight but much nearer home johnson might have found this criminal enforcement of ignorance burke writing in seventeen seventy nine about the irish accuses the legislature of condemning a million and a half of people to ignorance according to act of parliament burke's correspondence volume two page two nine four 
see also post march the twenty first seventeen seventy five and appendix and footnote the papists have indeed denied to the laity the use of the bible but this prohibition in few places now very rigorously enforced is defended by arguments which have for their foundation the care of souls to obscure upon motives merely political the light of revelation is a practice reserved for the reformed and surely the blackest midnight of popery is meridian sunshine to such a reformation i am not very willing that any language should be totally extinguished the similitude and derivation of languages afford the most indubitable proof of the traduction of nations and the genealogy of man Footnote. johnson said very finely languages are the pedigree of nations boswell's hebrides september the eighteenth seventeen seventy three and a footnote they add often physical certainty to historical evidence and often supply the only evidence of ancient migrations and of the revolutions of ages which left no written monuments behind them every man's opinions at least his desires are a little influenced by his favourite studies my zeal for languages may seem perhaps rather overheated even to those by whom i desire to be well esteemed to those who have nothing in their thoughts but trade or policy present power or present money i should not think it necessary to defend my opinions but with men of letters i would not unwillingly compound by wishing the continuance of every language however narrow in its extent or however incommodious for common purposes till it is reposited in some version of a known book that it may be always hereafter examined and compared with other languages and then permitting its disuse for this purpose the translation of the bible is most to be desired it is not certain that the same method will not preserve the highland language for the purposes of learning and abolish it from daily use when the highlanders read the bible they will naturally wish to have its obscurities cleared and to know the history collateral or appendant knowledge always desires increase it is like fire which must first be kindled by some external agent but which will afterwards propagate itself when they once desire to learn they will naturally have recourse to the nearest language by which that desire can be gratified and one will tell another that if he would attain knowledge he must learn english this speculation may perhaps be thought more subtle than the grossness of real life will easily admit let it however be remembered that the efficacy of ignorance has been long tried and has not produced the consequence expected let knowledge therefore take its turn and let the patrons of privation stand a while aside and admit the operation of positive principles you will be pleased sir to assure the worthy man who is employed in the new translation that he has my wishes for his success 
and if here or at Oxford I can be of any use, that I shall think it more than an honour to promote his undertaking. Footnote. The Reverend Mr. John Campbell, minister of the parish of Kippen near Stirling, who has lately favoured me with a long, intelligent and very obliging letter upon this work, makes the following remark. Dr. Johnson has alluded to the worthy man employed in the translation of the New Testament. Might not this have afforded you an opportunity of paying a proper tribute of respect to the memory of the Reverend Mr. James Stewart? late minister of Killen, distinguished by his eminent piety, learning and taste. The amiable simplicity of his life, his warm benevolence, his indefatigable and successful exertions for civilising and improving the parish of which he was minister for upwards of fifty years, entitle him to the gratitude of his country and the veneration of all good men. It certainly would be a pity if such a character should be permitted to sink into oblivion. Boswell, in the footnote. I am sorry that I delayed so long to write. I am so your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, August the 13th, 1766. The opponents of this pious scheme, being made ashamed of their conduct, the benevolent undertaking was allowed to go on. Footnote. Seven years later, Johnson received from the Society some religious works in Erse. See Post, June 24, 1774. Yet in his journey to the Hebrides in 1773, Works, Volume 9, page 101, he had to record of the parochial schools in those islands that, by the rule of their institution, they teach only English so that the natives read a language which they may never use or understand. End of footnote. The following letters, though not written till the year after, being chiefly upon the same subject, are here inserted. To Mr. William Drummond, dear sir, That my letter should have had such effects as you mention gives me great pleasure. I hope you do not flatter me by imputing to me more good than I have really done. Those whom my arguments have persuaded to change their opinion show such modesty and candour as deserve great praise. I hope the worthy translator goes diligently forward. He has a higher reward in prospect than any honours which this world can bestow. I wish I could be useful to him. The publication of my letter, if it could be of use in a cause to which all other causes are nothing, I should not prohibit. But first I would have you consider whether the publication will really do any good. Next, whether by printing and distributing a very small number you may not attain all that you propose. And, what well, perhaps I should have said first, whether the letter, which I do not now perfectly remember, be fit to be printed. If you can consult Dr. Robertson, to whom I am a little known, I shall be satisfied about the propriety of whatever he shall direct. If he thinks that it shall be printed, I entreat him to revise it. 
there may perhaps be some negligent lines written, and whatever is amiss, he knows very well how to rectify. Footnote. This passage shows Johnson's real estimation of the character and abilities of the celebrated Scottish historian. However lightly, in a moment of caprice, he may have spoken of his works. Boswell, end of footnote. Be pleased to let me know from time to time how this excellent design goes forward. Make my compliments to young Mr. Drummond, whom I hope you will live to see such as you desire him. I have not lately seen Mr. Elphinstone, but believe him to be prosperous. I shall be glad to hear the same of you, for I am, dear sir, your affectionate humble servant, Samuel Johnson, Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, April the 21st. 1767. To the same, sir. I returned this week from the country after an absence of near six months, and found your letter with many others which I should have answered sooner, if I had sooner seen them. Dr. Robertson's opinion was surely right. Men should not be told of the faults which they have mended. I am glad the old language is taught, and honour the translator as the man whom God has distinguished by the high office of propagating his word. I must take the liberty of engaging you in an office of charity. Mrs. Healy, the wife of Mr. Healy, who had lately some office in your theatre, is my near relation and now in great distress. They wrote me word of their situation some time ago, to which I returned them an answer which raised hopes of more than it is proper for me to give them. Their representation of their affairs I have discovered to be such as cannot be trusted, and at this distance, though their case requires haste, I know not how to act. She or her daughters may be heard of at Canongate Head. I must beg, sir, that you will inquire after them, and let me know what is to be done. I am willing to go to ten pounds, and will transmit you such a sum if, upon examination, you find it likely to be of use. If they are in immediate want, advance them what you think proper. What I could do, I would do for the women, having no great reason to pay much regard to Hilly himself. Footnote. This is the person concerning whom Sir John Hawkins has thrown out very unwarrantable reflections, both against Dr. Johnson and Mr. Francis Barber. Boswell. See post, under October the 20th, 1784. In 1775, Healy, it appears, applied through Johnson for the post that was soon to be vacant of Master of the Tap at Ranelagh House. He seems wrote Johnson in forwarding his letter of application, to have a genius for an alehouse. Piozzi Letters, Volume 1, page 210. See also post August the 12th, 1784, end of footnote. I believe you may receive some intelligence from Mrs. Baker of the theatre, whose letter I received at the same time with yours, and to whom, if you see her, you will make my excuse for the seeming neglect of answering her. Whatever you advance within ten pounds shall be immediately returned to you, or paid as you shall order. I trust wholly to your judgment. 
I am, sir, etc. Samuel Johnson, London, Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, October the 24th, 1767. Mr. Cuthbert Shaw, footnote, see an account of him in the European magazine, January 1786, Boswell. There we learn that he was in his time a grammar school usher, actor, poet, the puffing partner in a quack medicine, and tutor to a youthful earl. He was suspected of levying blackmail by threats of satiric publications, and he suffered from a disease which rendered him an object almost offensive to sight. He was born in 1738 or 1739, and died in 1771. End of footnote. Mr. Cuthbert Shaw, alike distinguished by his genius, misfortunes, and misconduct, published this year a poem called The Race by Mercurius Burr, Esquire. Footnote. It was republished in The Repository, volume 2, page 227, edition of 1790. In which he whimsically made the living poets of England contend for preeminence of fame by running. Prove by their heels the prowess of the head. In this poem there was the following portrait of Johnson. Here Johnson comes, unblessed with outward grace, his rigid morals stamped upon his face, while strong conceptions struggle in his brain, for even wit is brought to bed with pain. To view him, porters with their loads would rest, and babes cling frighted to the nurse's breast, with looks convulsed he roars in pompous strain, and like an angry lion shakes his mane. The nine, with terror struck, who ne'er had seen aught human with so horrible a mien, debating whether they should stay or run, virtue steps forth and claims him for her son. With gentle speech she warns him now to yield, nor stain his glories in the doubtful field, but wrapped in conscious worth, content sit down. Since fame resolved his various pleas to crown, though forced his present claim to disavow, had long reserved a chaplet for his brow. He bows, obeys, for time shall first expire ere Johnson's stay when virtue bids retire. The Honourable Thomas Harvey, footnote, the Honourable Thomas Harvey, whose letter to Sir Thomas Hanmer in 1742 was much read at that time. He was the second son of John, first Earl of Bristol, and one of the brothers of Johnson's early friend, Henry Harvey. He died January the 20th, 1775, Malone. See post, April the 6th, 1775, end of footnote. The Honourable Thomas Harvey and his lady, having unhappily disagreed and being about to separate, Johnson interfered as their friend, and wrote him a letter of expostulation, which I have not been able to find, but the substance of it is ascertained by a letter to Johnson in answer to it, which Mr. Harvey printed. The occasion of this correspondence between Dr. Johnson and Mr. Harvey was thus related to me by Mr. Beauclerc. Footnote. 
sea post under september the twenty second seventeen seventy seven for another story told by beauclerc against johnson of a mr harvey End of footnote. tom harvey had a great liking for johnson and in his will had left him a legacy of fifty pounds one day he said to me johnson may want this money now more than afterwards i have a mind to give it him directly will you be so good as to carry a fifty-pound note from me to him this i positively refused to do as he might perhaps have knocked me down for insulting him and have afterwards put the note in his pocket but i said if a harvey would write him a letter and enclose a fifty-pound note i should take care to deliver it he accordingly did write him a letter mentioning that he was only paying a legacy a little sooner to his letter he added p s i am going to part with my wife johnson then wrote to him saying nothing of the note but remonstrating with him against parting with his wife when i mentioned to johnson this story in as delicate terms as i could he told me that the fifty-pound note was given to him by mr harvey in consideration of his having written for him a pamphlet against sir charles hanbury williams who mr harvey imagined was the author of an attack upon him but that it was afterwards discovered to be the work of a garretteer who wrote the fool essays published in the daily gazetteer and afterwards collected into two volumes gentleman's magazine for seventeen forty eight and a footnote the pamphlet therefore against sir charles was not printed footnote. mr croker regrets that johnson employed his pen for hire in harvey's disgusting squabbles and in a long note describes harvey's letter to sir thomas hanmer with whose wife he had eloped but the attack to which johnson was hired to reply was not made by hanmer but as was supposed by sir c h williams because a man has wronged another he is not therefore to submit to the attacks of a third williams moreover it must be remembered was himself a man of licentious character End of footnote. End of section 5.